We're in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans, and I want to talk to you about what I feel today is, is the part of this church. It is, when I was studying this this week, it just absolutely brought me to my knees, to tears, whatever it is, but I was just overwhelmed by what I felt like was our family, our church family. And what it is, is what Paul is explaining are just ordinary people who do extraordinary things for the Lord. Just, just by being used. And what I said in the last two services, last night and tonight, this morning, I'd like to say to you, if you're, if you're here and you're not actually a part of what's going on, you've not been involved yet in, in, the, in what we do here, just relax. Just relax. It's absolutely okay. You don't have to be involved. You, you don't need to be into doing everything here in the church. For those that do, thank you. Praise the Lord for you. It's, it's critical that, that, that we do what we do here. But I don't want any of you to feel that you come here and feel the pressure that you're going to have to do something. I, I want you just to come here and worship the Lord. And just to worship Him and to, and to just know the wonders of our God whom, whom, who loves you so much. And that you can maybe, during this time, just kind of express your love to Him. And if you're not involved, that's fine. I will tell you this, though. There is a little of an agenda to this. If you do get involved, you won't be able to stop. It's, it's, it's serving the Lord is one of the greatest privileges that is ever given to mankind that knows Him. That, that knows and loves Him, to serve Him is one of our true privileges. And He blesses us so much in doing so. But I don't want any of you to feel that you have to do this. I was asked a very interesting question uh, uh, quite a few months ago. Uh, a pastor friend was starting a new church and he called me and he wanted to talk to me. And I said, sure. And we got together and I said, what's up? And he said, hey, he says, I didn't realize starting a church is this hard. How did you do it? And I said, I don't really know. I honestly can't say that I know. I did mention last week of Laura, which I know you hate, but I'm still going to do it. Uh, because if it wasn't for her, uh, I would not be preaching today, I don't think. Um, I wanted to just quit. And she wouldn't let us. And she felt she had the faith of all of us to start this ministry. And so if you look around, Laura, and see what God has done, it's pretty amazing. And so we... This guy asked me, how, do you, how did you get it started? And I said, I really don't know. I honestly don't know. I do remember this. Some of the staff went out to a, 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 a supply place, a, a, what it was like a secretarial, not secretarial, but just supplies, uh, stuff. What is it? Uh, it doesn't matter. And, it went to one of them, and they, they, asked, they asked one of the people working there, so what do you guys need? And they looked around and they said, everything. We didn't have a stapler. We didn't have staples. We didn't have uh, uh, anything. We didn't have paper clips. We had absolutely nothing. Hey, my brother, saw you at Walmart this week. You okay? Good to see you. Good to see you again. We bumped into each other while we were shopping this week and uh, had a good time. Anyways, um, starting a church is, is, not, is not easy. I understand that. But I could honestly say to him, it, it depends upon the people, the people that, that you gather around you, the people that, that, that the Lord brings to the church can make it or, or, may, or break it. And what Paul is saying here in this message 
is, is a, a tremendous tribute to a group of ordinary people who did a- extraordinary things for the cause of Jesus Christ. And Paul is making mention of all of them. He's mentioning them and, and, and telling to make sure that you greet these people. But he's not just simply, as you're going to open up your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 16. He's not just simply saying greet them, but he's letting us have an insight of who these people are and what you and I are going to find out today through what Paul tells us in this particular chapter is that people of all, of all ages, of all groupings, everyone is needed within the family of God. And I love that Paul brings this to, to note. Now, I've got a problem with this message in this part. I, I cannot pronounce all these names. I just can't. I, just, I, I get dyslectic, I see everything goes backwards and forwards, and I, I have problems. So if I, I make no, I'm not trying to make a joke of this or light of it, I just don't have, I have trouble with the name. So if, when I mess them up, please forgive me. And uh, I've asked the Lord already, to so the people in heaven, if they can hear this and they hear me just butcher their name, I, please forgive me. I am, uh, I am so sorry. I don't know why there's not a lot of Joes and Johns and Pete's in there, but there's not. There's just all sorts of, uh, of difficult names. But, but Paul is going to allow you and me a glimpse into the lives of what I would love to call ordinary people who do extra, extraordinary things. Now, I said last week that we met three very ordinary people, but in the truth of the matter is they were a little beyond ordinary compared to the people we're going to meet today. Last week we met Phoebe, we met Prisca and Aquila, and they... They were three ordinary, very special servants of our Lord. Well, today, in verses 5 through 16, we're going to see more ordinary people. Folks that I sense would fit in perfectly here at this church with us. Now, let's try and read them. I will try to read these, and you hang in there with me, please. We're going to start in the middle of verse 5. Paul says, Greet Eponitas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. And, uh, oh my gosh, here we go. And uh, Adronicus, and Junius. I, I got what I have here is if I read badly, I've got a cheat sheet. That's, I wrote them all phonetically, but it doesn't do any good. It, it doesn't help, but I'm going to try. So I went to... Uh, Uh, Andronicus and Junitas, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners, who were outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampilicus, and my beloved in the Lord, and greet Eubanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apellus, the approved in Christ, Greet those who are in the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. And greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Greet us. Uh-oh, and Phlegon, and Hermes, and Patrobus, and Hermas, 
and the brethren with them. And greet Philologus and Julia and Nerus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. And then verse 16, and greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I'm very anxious about this message. I'm so sorry about the way I pronounced the names. Uh, I, 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 I tried. I tried. I, I did better the first service. I don't know. But I really butchered this. So anyways, with that in mind, I want to talk about their character. And I want you to note and compare the character of the people here today. I made a vow last night, and I broke it just once this morning, um, that I would not mention any names. But every one of you, I, I think of, when I look at some of you, I can see you in this chapter so clearly. I've seen people who have paved the way for this church to make it all that God has called it to be. We've had younger people and older people. We've had people of great talent, people, just, just no, normal, ordinary people that just serve the Lord. And we've seen God do great things. And so I'm not going to mention any names because I don't want to get into that. I could mention all of you. But I think you'll see in your mind and in your heart some people that God has used in a mighty way as we see through the gifts that Paul has mentioned here in chapter 16, verses 5 through 16. Let's pray and let's get into this because this is a very, very beautiful place in Scripture. Father, would you please um, forgive me uh, for mispronouncing so many of the names. I... Uh, I really tried, Father. I, I, I did. And uh, I just pray that you will bless it nonetheless, that we would uh, take our minds off of how poorly I did that and just really concentrate on what is important, and that is your holy word. Father, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law? And Father, would you move me aside so that I do not interfere with what you want to say to any of us here this morning? Father, there are some people here who have so faithfully served you and others who are just waiting, waiting for that time. And Father, whenever it is, I pray that it's perfect timing in your, in your eyes, that you will move them when you see fit. And Lord, thank you so much now for this time. Thank you for everyone here. It has been a blessing, Father, to be a part of this church. I, I pray you'll bless us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Verse 5, let's start right there. Paul begins by his first convert to Jesus Christ, a man from Asia. His name is Epinetus, I think it is. Epinetus was from what we would call today Turkey. And, and he was not only led to Jesus Christ by Paul, but Paul personally discipled him. And so he is, Paul calls him, my beloved. Now, if any of you have ever had the privilege of leading someone to Christ and watching them grow, or, or having some sort of impact upon someone's life. There's nothing quite like it. Absolutely nothing. I, I, what I love about ministry, for me, for me only, the most, is being at some place for a long time to watch young people grow, to watch where uh, we see people that I, I used to know over at Yorba Linda Friends Church who have come over to this church and now are adults and serving the Lord here and watching them serve the Lord and, and remembering when they were running around the halls just like all of our little kids are. And if the Lord would give me that privilege of being here long enough to see some of these kids that are scurrying back and forth and all of a sudden kind of mature and then start to serve the Lord. And when you see that happening in some young person's life, it's it's 
I can see why Paul would call them my beloved. I, I get it. I honestly get it. He then says in verse 6 to greet Mary. But Mary's just not Mary. He says, Mary who has worked hard for you. Now, in our language, to say worked hard is one thing. It's, but in, in, in the Greek, they, they, they make the words much more expressive so that you can understand. Like, for instance, there are four or five words for love. We might say here, we love ketchup. But I love my wife. It's not the same. And they would use that difference. And so when they say, greet Mary who worked hard, they use the word K-O-P-I-A-O, meaning she toiled at her task to the point of exhaustion for the sake of others, for the sake of the family of God. And so when he says, greet Mary, this one who has worked hard for you, she is someone who toiled at her task to the point of exhaustion for the sake of others. I want to caution you here. I don't want any of you working to a point of exhaustion. I don't want any of you working to a place where you just become burdened by the fact that you have to serve the Lord. I want it to be joy. Look, it can be joy. I'm old. I'm old. Old. I was going to say older, but older's bragging. I'm old. And I still have the energy to preach this message, to preach the last message, and to preach last night's message. And by the grace of God, I get to go speak to EE tonight. And I am excited about it, looking forward to it. And I am not toiling to the point of exhaustion. You don't have to do that. If you just serve the Lord under His gift, then, then God will give you the energy. And I don't want any of you to, to get to that place. But to, to Mary, she was a woman that served the Lord so faithfully that she served to the, actually the point of exhaustion for the sake of other people. Then in verse 7, we are introduced to perhaps relatives of Paul, although we are not certain. We can't say for sure. But he does call them my kinsmen. It could be they are his countrymen. There are two of them. Andronius, and Andronicus, I believe, is a Greek name. That name was identified through history as a slave. Junicus is a Roman name as well, but it could be either masculine or feminine. We're not sure. We're not sure if this is a man or a woman. But if it is a woman... Most commentators believe that Junicus was the wife of Adronicus. Close enough. And they were both, most likely though, they were slaves. And Paul met them in jail. Now there's something interesting about them. I'm going to point it out to you. I think you're going to see it in a moment. In verse 7, he calls them my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. Paul more than likely met them in one of his stays when he was in prison. And they became friends of his. And they now make up the church in Rome. But, as it says in verse 7, they were in Christ before me. Now, why does he say that? Now, the church in Rome was founded by very different types of people. There was Phoebe. There was Aquila. There was Priscilla. They, they came from Corinth and and. and Aquila and Priscilla worked alongside of Paul in the marketplace. They were business people that came and helped form the church. Alongside of them came Andronicus and Junius, they were maybe a husband and wife, and they were, they were from prison. They met in jail, and then they came and made a part of the church. And then there is later on Amphilitus and Eubanus and Stachus. They were more than likely slaves 
that they met Paul, and Paul more than likely led them to Christ. The phrase in verse 7, two of them, that I want you to note, it says that these two people, Adronicus and Junius, were outstanding among the apostles. That does not mean that they were apostles. That meant that they served alongside of the apostles and did outstanding work for them. They were... They did whatever is needed to make something accomplished by the apostles. And Paul reports in verse 7 that they were in Christ before him. A very interesting statement. They came to trust and believe in Jesus Christ before Paul. In other words, they came to Christ when Paul was still Saul. Now, we know something about Saul. Saul was a man that hated Christians. He hated Christianity and he hated the church and he hated Jesus Christ. Now, commentators believe that this is put in there, that they were in Christ before Paul, thinking that perhaps they had suffered persecution under Saul's anger and bitterness against the church and he threw them in jail. And perhaps, perhaps, It could be possible that their prayers and their witnessing to Paul had uh, an impact upon his life. So much so that when he's on the road to Damascus and when he gets confronted by our Lord, they believe that the experiences he had through, through these people, Andronicus and Junius, who were in prison, that when he went into prison, he met them and he called them beloved. They were very very special to him. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it seems to me the reason they would put, he would write that they were in Christ before me is that he had an impact on their life when he was still Saul, who hated the church. Verse 8, he says, Greet Amphilictus, my beloved in the Lord. Now, history and archaeology tells us that Amphilictus is a common name for a slave. So perhaps this beloved friend of Paul was a slave, much like the others that Paul had a chance to lead to Christ. Like we learn about Onesimus, who who Paul led to Christ. Then he sends him back to the person that he worked for by the name of Philemon. And he said, Philemon, I am now sending you back, not a slave, but a brother in Christ. Paul seemed to have a deep fondness for the slaves that he came in contact with. Which leads us to verse 9. Urbanus, a fellow worker, Paul calls in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Both of these men were also more than likely slaves. Urbanus, his name means city bred. He was born and raised probably in Rome. You could get the name city slicker from a guy named Urbanus. It was a common slave name of a man from Rome. It meant that he was brought up in the city. On the other hand, Stachus... Unlike the name Urbanus, is not a common name. Stachus was also a slave, but his name meant ear of corn. Don't know why. I'm just telling you. That's what it, that's what it, it translates to mean. Stachus meant ear of corn. Now, since Stachus is called my beloved by Paul, he was probably a close associate with Paul. We don't know where they met. We don't know how they met. We just seems to see. see we seem to to find out that Paul has a deep fondness 
for those who are slaves, like Urbanus and Stachus. As I mentioned, this church in Rome is not, not bred by a lot of outstanding leaders. They're just common people. They were people that were in jail. They were slaves. They were just business people that came into the community to help move the church forward in the church's daily life. Just like you. Just like we do here at this place. Moving it forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. Paul mentions these folks. By mentioning them, he reveals how deeply he loved them. How sincerely his love were for these fellow believers and fellow workers with Christ. No matter how, quote-unquote, little known they might be to us, they were nonetheless very important in the whole scheme of things in the church. No matter how insignificant you and I might think they are, from a human point of view, not so much from the Lord. I, I saw this cross-reference to uh, this place, to me anyways. It, it's in Colossians, the third chapter, the 23rd and 24th verse. It, this place in Scripture is meaningful to me because it was one of the first uh, years that I started speaking to the teams when I was doing ministry with the athletes. And this particular team was the Dodgers. And Tommy Lasorda came to me and said, would you please speak to the guys about their importance to the team, regardless of what they do? <clears throat> he said, I got, I got some guys that are, are pouting because they don't get to drive in all the runs. You know, what would happen on a team. And I thought about Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 then. It says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as unto the Lord rather than for men knowing that it is the Lord Jesus Christ whom we, whom we serve, and we will receive the reward of our inheritance through Jesus Christ our Lord. I told a message on that, and one of the guys, I won't tell you who it was, it's not relevant, but one of the guys wanted to know, what, do you mean to say, he says, I can play baseball and still honor the Lord through playing baseball? I, I, I didn't think I could do that. And I said, of course you can. It, you could whatever it is you do, you could be doing the dishes, you can be be sweeping the floor, you can you can be doing anything, whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. The following week, he says, "Come here, I want you to see in my locker." And I walked over to his locker, and he had a beautiful plaque made. A, a, a guy that worked with wood made a beautiful plaque of Colossians three twenty three and twenty four, and he hung it prominently in his locker, saying, "Whatever he did, he did it heartily as unto the Lord." And when he went on road trips, he would have the clubhouse guy pack it in towels and he would take it and they would unpack it and hang it in his locker on wherever they were on the road. He had that as a reminder all along. Same thing for you and for me. We don't have to be doing just maybe the Lord's work. We can be doing whatever it is we do heartily as unto the Lord. Serving Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Just Loving the Lord and serving Him. Common people doing extraordinary things because of the extraordinary God that we love. So Paul says, don't forget this. You can do great things. And whatever it is that you do, you can do it heartily as unto the Lord. Verse 10. We know very little to nothing about Paul's relationship with Apelles. And that can't be certain how they met, for instance. 
But I do know something about Apelles that I absolutely love. If I had to choose all of these men that are mentioned and women that are mentioned in this place in Scripture, it would be I would love to be like Apelles. He was, it says, approved by God or approved in Christ. The word approved there is D-O-K-I-M-O-S. It means it carries the idea of being tested by fire. It was used as a as a test for precious metal. If you had gold, for instance, and, and you wanted to make sure it was pure, you would put it in fire, and all the impurities would be burnt away. And what you'd be left with was pure gold. That was approved in Christ. That is apellus. I, I couldn't leave this word behind, the word approved, and so I, I tried to find some cross-references to it, and sure enough, I found pure gold. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman that does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. I would love to be that man. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, basically the same thing. Just as we have been approved by God... We have been entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. I love that place in Scripture. I love the whole idea of Apelles being approved in Christ. Verses 10 through 15, we see more ordinary people. In verse 10b, for instance, he says, Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis, I think it is. Aristopolis was identified by the biblical scholar J.B. Lightfoot to be either one of two things. He was either the grandson of Herod the Great, or possibly he was a slave in the Herod the Great's family who took the name of his master. We can't be sure which. But what we know for certain is that the household of Aristopolis is a group of believers who were a part of the imperial household. They were part of, the, the, of King Herod the Great's household. And Paul says, greet them in verse 10. Verse 11, he says, greet Herodian, my kinsman, could be his relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Again, a group of people, he says, greet them. In verse 7, as with Andronicus and Junius, Paul greets Herodian as his kinsman, perhaps a relative, perhaps just a believer in Jesus Christ or a countryman. We're not certain. Which adds to the mystery of these people we meet here in the 16th chapter. More than likely, just ordinary people who serve an extraordinary God, just like you and me. Next in verse 12, Paul greets Two twin sisters, more than likely they're twins. It's Tryphena, Tryphene, I believe, and Tryphosa. They were possibly twin sisters, whose names meant delicate and dainty. I like that. They were, we are told, faithful workers in the Lord. Again, those who worked to a point of exhaustion for the benefit of others. Also, Paul says, in that same grouping, Greet also Persis, the beloved. He has a great love for this woman who also worked hard in the Lord. I want you to note something about these three people. 
Tryphena and Tryphosa are spoken of in the present tense, while Persis is spoken of in the past tense. It's not that she's passed away, but it was more than likely that the first two, Tryphena and Tryphosa, the twin sisters, were younger, still active within the church, still able and had the energy to do a lot, where Persis is mentioned in the past tense, perhaps is older and, and, and has already lived out more of her active years serving the Lord. And I, I think about I, I, Last night I had to bite my tongue so much because I can tell you at least this much. On Saturday night, we have two people that greet at the door that are, are a little bit advanced in their age. Let's just say that. And, and I watch people that walk through the door when they say hello to them. And they just have smiles on their faces. The people that come in are smiling from ear to ear. These two ladies are just precious. And they're not going at the same speed as some of the youngers are. But I'm telling you something. They are serving the Lord just as passionately with what they do as do the younger people. And I believe that Paul adds in the names Tryphena and Tryphosa, these young girls who are working alongside of Persis, and they are all worker bees diligently, faithfully serving the Lord. And by that I get that you and I don't have to be young to serve the Lord here. We can do whatever it is that we do, whatever it is the energy that you have, you can do to serve the Lord. And if you have to sit down for a while because you're tired, great. Don't apologize. Just sit down and relax. And there's others that do more. But don't worry. Don't worry. If we live long enough, we're going to see them slow down too. And we'll be able to watch them kind of tap to catch a rest every once in a while. I just love these three people that Paul mentions. I'm not sure this is exactly what he meant, but to me, this is exactly what I got from that. In verse 13, he says to greet a fellow by the name of Rufus, which means red-haired. He is, he says, a choice man of the Lord. Also, he says, his mother and mine. Oh, that's really important to me. Rufus, being a choice man, gives us the idea, the word choice means chosen or extraordinary. In other words, Rufus, or Red, was known for his extraordinary work, his extraordinary love for the Lord and for the people of God. He was a special guy. How do I know that? Well, he is mentioned again. Again, I couldn't let some of these people know, go. I had to find out if I could find them elsewhere. Rufus is mentioned in Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. The soldiers are leading Jesus Christ up the hill to go to the to Calvary, to go to be nailed to the cross. He is carrying this cross and he has fallen down from exhaustion. It says the soldiers pressed into service a passerby coming from the country Simon of Serena. Serena is a city off the Mediterranean coast of North Africa. So Simon is the father of Alexander and Rufus. He is carrying, helping Jesus carry his cross. Mark, commentators say, has no reason to mention Alexander and Rufus along with Simon unless they were well known within the family of God. Scholars agree that the Rufus that is mentioned in Mark chapter 15 is the same person that is mentioned here in Romans chapter 16. A choice, extraordinary 
worker for the Lord. And the Lord God allowed his father to carry his son's cross towards Calvary. I say to you that Rufus didn't fall very far from the tree of his father, Simon. In verse 13, he says, Greet his mother and mine. That does not mean that Rufus and Paul were brothers. But more than likely, it means that Rufus' mother cared for Paul as if he were her own son. Now, I understand this place in Scripture because I was born to that type of woman. All of my friends in grade school, when I lived back in Michigan, and then when I moved to San Pedro, and then when I went to the University of Southern California that came to visit our house, and they came to my house as often as possible, because when people came to my house, my friends, nobody ever knocked on the door. Not my buddies. They all walked in. And you know the first place they went? Think, where would the first place they go? Kitchen. Went right to the refrigerator. Every one of them. And they'd open up the refrigerator and say... Mom, what do we got? You know, Mom, and my mom always had food. Always had food. And she would feed them. And my mother was the type of woman that she would hug and kiss every one of them like she, they were her own. And I don't mean kiss them on the cheek. She would, she would find her lips and she'd give them a kiss. Ooh, I missed you so much. I loved my mom. I get this. I get this woman who treated Paul as if he, he were her own son. I've watched my mom do that to my friends. Excuse me for getting a little teary on that, but it's just a great memory. Great memory when people used to come to my house and just, just come on in, you know. That's kind of neat. Verse 14. Greet, oh my gosh. Uh, Asynthocritus, Phygon, I don't know. Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas. I don't think either one of them was there, even close. But I tried. But he says, greet the brethren with them. Paul makes no comment about those people in verse 14, but he mentions the brethren who are with them. That indicates that these people that he mentioned in verse 14 were more than likely leaders within the family of God. And he wanted to let the people in the church that they led, that he wanted to know, let them know that he greeted them. The same could be said in verse 15, mentioning all the saints that are with them. And in so doing, Paul is basically saying hi to all the churches in Rome. He is greeting them. He says in verse 15, and I'll, I'll try to go through the names. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus, his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Not much is said about these people from verses 10 through verse 15, except, except that they are cited for their work unto the Lord. They worked to exhaustion, some of them, all for the cause of Christ and for the family of God. They, they experienced great love. They, they were beloved people. They were faithful people. And they worked for our Lord, much like you. And now Paul ends where I'd like to end this message on, in verse 16. He says to greet one another with a holy kiss. The practice of kissing family and friends on the forehead or the cheek was common then as a sign of honor and respect. Listen, because many new believers then were made outcasts from their family and their friends 
The spiritual kinship that was found within the family of God became all the dearer to one another and was frequently manifested by what is called here in verse 16 as a holy kiss. Paul said to believers to maintain this practice. He says, when you greet one another in 1 Corinthians, in 1 Thessalonians, in 1 Peter, let's, let me just read 1 Peter, just, just 1 Peter. 5.14, he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. When Paul was leaving Ephesus and he was going to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20, verses 36 to 38, it says that Paul went to the shore. He knelt down and he prayed with the elders of the church who came out to see him off. And they began, the elders began to weep out loud and they embraced Paul, it says in Acts chapter 20. Verse 36 to 38. And they repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would see his face no more. I want to give you one more example. It's probably even deeper. In Luke chapter 7, in verses 36 to 45, it says that Jesus Christ went to a a man's home to eat. His name was Simon and he was a Pharisee. It says when he got to the home, Jesus, a woman in the city who was a sinner, more than likely she was a a, a bad woman, she came, Jesus said, into your home, and she proceeded to wash and anoint and to kiss my feet, Jesus Christ said. Simon said to himself when that was taking place, if this man, talking of Jesus, were truly a prophet, He would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. She is a sinner, he said. After Jesus got through speaking with Simon, he said to him, Simon, do you see this woman? He says, I entered into your home and you gave me no water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. He said to Simon, you gave me no kiss. But since the time I have come in here, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Jesus was not only approving of the woman's kissing his feet, but reminded Simon that Simon had neglected to greet him with a holy kiss. Implying that such a kiss not only was appropriate, but it was expected from a person of of honor. Now today, I want to offer this a little bit. I'll grant you this. There is a, a danger of physical signs of affection within the family of God. It could be misunderstood or, or abused. I know that I hug everybody. Um, You've got to blame my mom. I'm sorry, but you do. I, I, just, I will hug anyone that will allow me. And I, I, I kiss a lot of the men here in this church. Um, I'll say this though, Dr. McGee in his commentary says this clearly. He says, I do not recommend that we practice this today within the church. Hugging and kissing. I can only say, Dr. McGee, you never met my mom. She would have laid one on you, dude. She would have. Um, I don't know whether it's right or wrong. I, I, uh, if I've offended any of you by hugging or or, or any of you by giving you a kiss on your cheek or your head or whatever, I ask your forgiveness. 
until you tell me to stop, I'm not going to stop. But if you ask me to stop, I will stop. Um, I don't know that we need to make it a practice throughout the church. I can, do, I can tell you this, when I was through with the message last night, I never got kissed so much in my life right here on the thing. It was kind of sweet. Uh, but um, I'm not recommending that we do that. But here's what I am recommending, what I know our Lord recommends. This is important, I think, for the family of God. We need to be people who care for one another. We need to be people who reach out and love one another. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said in John chapter 13, 35, by this, by the way, you and I love one another. All people are going to know we're disciples of our Lord. By the way, we have love for one another. Doesn't mean we have to hug and kiss each other, a holy kiss, but it does mean that we've got to care for one another. Paul wrote of this about our church, about faith, and about love. Three different places. Ephesians 1.15 He says, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and your love for all the family of God. He says in Colossians 1.4, he says, I have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for one another. And lastly, in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Paul writes, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God that you are to love one another. If there's one staple for this church that I would love to have, and that is that we care for one another, that we just love one another. I don't know if it means hugging or a holy kiss. I, 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 hear, I see what Dr. McGee said when he says that he would not recommend that they practice that. I get it. I don't mind it. But that's the way I was raised. But I've hugged some people that when I've hugged them, they, you know, I could feel it. I could feel every bone in their body just tenses up. and I've, I get embarrassed. I wish I didn't have done that. I didn't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. But that was the way I was raised. It was my expression of honoring and respecting you. I was a bunch of men here that I kiss on the cheek, and I, I kiss every time I can. Some of you, maybe too much. I don't care. I love you. Um, before I was a believer in Jesus Christ, I lived in Hawaii. There was a group of us that hung together. It was about ten of us that were pretty tight. One guy was a Greek, Iowa Croatian. We got everybody hugging and kissing everybody. We kissed on the cheek. Every time I met him, every time I saw him, and, and I, I roomed with the guy. I mean, we lived together. I'd see him, I'd give him a kiss on the cheek. We, we were just expressive that way. He'd be in Greek, we'd be in a Croatian. We just expressed our love, and all of a sudden, then all of a sudden all of our buddies were doing that, and we were noted around the islands as guys that just loved one another. And that was before I was a believer in Jesus Christ. So it's not so much my faith that makes me want to hug you and love you, it is my upbringing. Blame my mom. Blame my dad. They were wonderful people. Now, I love you all so much. I pray from this message that what we learn is this. Not so much the kissing, the holy kiss. That's, that's irrelevant. Um, I think caring for one another, loving one another is important. But I think what we learn from this is, is that, that God wants to use you and me, ordinary people, to do extraordinary things for him. 
And what I'm saying to you is don't feel the pressure to serve the Lord right away. Wait. Wait until God has moved you. And I say that selfishly because I know once you start, no one's going to be able to stop you. Because the blessings are amazing. The blessings of serving the Lord in the family of God and being able to see people grow in their faith to where you too would call them beloved is quite a privilege. Quite a privilege. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Actually, right now, Lord, it's afternoon. We just moved over into noon. So thank you for this day. I look forward to tonight being with the group of EE and and just having a bite to eat and, and just fellowship with one another and have that rejoicing in that time. But Father, it's sufficient for today that that we can just care for one another here in this church, that that we can see how people do extraordinary things because of you, and that all of us can serve you, that whatever we do, we can do it heartily as unto you, knowing it's the Lord Jesus Christ whom we are serving. Now bless us all, Father, as we go from here. In Jesus' precious name, amen.